Hey everybody, this is David Perkins. You're listening to the Desperation Podcast. Join us this summer for the Desperation Conference at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, July 9th through 11th. For more information and resources, go to desperationonline.com. Man, I love you. Thanks, buddy. Hey, good evening. Man, everybody stay standing. I always love praying before bringing the word. I just want to say that, wow, what a worship time. If you traveled halfway across the country or even all the way across the country just for that worship session, it would be worth it. That was amazing. I'm in churches all over the world, and i got to say, that was one of the best worship services I've been in in years. (sighs) Wow. That was just, I thought we were all going to rapture, you know, or just, (laughs) wow. So let me kind of gather my thoughts, all right? I just want to say I'm honored to be here amongst some of the greatest men and women in our country because you are youth leaders. And as a former youth leader... I want to say that this is probably one of the greatest positions you can hold in the kingdom. To have the privilege of influencing young people's lives to set their course straight so that they fulfill their destiny. You know, a man looked at me one day and he said this to me. He said, John, would you like to minister to 3 million people or to 12 leaders? And, you know, I had to be honest. I mean, come on, if I have a call come into my office for a conference for 3 million people or 12 leaders, what am I going to accept? I said, well, I'll take the 3 million people. He said, well, you chose wrong. Because 10 leaders caused 3 million people to miss their inheritance. That was the 10 spies when they came back from the promised land. And so leadership is so important. And you guys are in that place. And you're leading some of the most important people. And that is young people. And you know something? As a youth pastor, I remember, and I'm going to keep you on your feet for just a minute. Is that all right? But I remember, you know, I was reading this gentleman's book, and he was one of the greatest youth pastors in the country back in the 80s, okay? And uh, I remember the foreword was done by an extremely well-known man of God. He was known all over the world, and he said, you know, in his foreword, he said, the youth of the church of tomorrow, and I started highlighting it, and I was halfway through highlighting it, and the Holy Spirit said, the youth are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. And the Lord began to show me something that changed my life. He said, the world has four age groups. Babies, children, teenagers, and adults. Okay? You're an adult in the world when you're 21 in most states. He said, I only have three age groups. Babies, children, and adults. If you look at a Jewish young man, he goes through bar mitzvah when he's 13, not when he's 21. It's when he becomes a young man of the covenant. If you look at our human bodies, when do guys start growing hair under their arms? When do girls' breasts start developing? When do guys' voices change? When they're 13, not when they're 21. That's adolescence. And the Lord spoke to me and He said, Son, the problem is is the church has adopted the world's view. We have nursery, we have children's church, we have youth church, and we have church. Now don't get me wrong, I think it's extremely important that you have fellowship among age groups. I think it's important that you have senior fellowship. You know, for your people that are maybe 65 and older or something like that, that you have couples fellowships. That maybe you have singles fellowships for people that have gone through tragedies of divorce. And that you have youth fellowship. But the youth are part of the church now. 
And what that did is that totally changed the way I started addressing our youth group. And I started preaching to them as if they were adults. Because God said, you try to entertain them, you're going to lose. He said, the world will beat you. He said, I didn't call you to be an entertainer. I called you to be a man of God. And you know, the stronger I preached, the more we worshipped, the more we went after God, the more our youth group grew. And I started discovering it that 13 to 21 year olds can take it stronger than anyone else. And they want it more than anyone else. Not that that's going to control how I preach to them, but I, I started realizing, man, these guys love this. You know, there's really three things I've learned about young people, and that is this. If you've got these three things, they'll love you. And that is, you believe what you preach, you live what you preach, and you're sincere. Okay? If you have those three things, young people will listen to you. I don't care how strong you are. And so, I'm going to address you tonight as leaders. I might be a little stronger with you because you're leaders. Is that all right? You, 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 don't, you don't treat people that are training for the Navy SEALs. You don't treat them and pamper them. Tell them that they can wake up whenever they want and do whatever they want. You, you realize that they are leaders. They're going to be the people that really, the guys that really, really go into action and save our country from some desperate times. And so tonight, I'm just really believing that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us. Would you like that? All right, now, I know a lot of you don't know me, so let me just introduce myself. I am John Bevere, and I am happy to say that New Life Church is my home church, and I'm happy to say that Pastor Brady Boyd is my pastor. And so I just want to give you a vote of confidence as you've come to a great place. And I, too, want to say that I think this is one of the greatest youth conferences in the whole United States of America. And I think it would be a really wise thing for you to bring your youth groups to this conference. And nobody asked me to say that. I'm saying that from my heart, okay? Because I know what's going to happen with your young people, okay? And so I think the best way to really introduce myself is to show you a picture of my family. Can I show you a recent picture of my family? Can I do that? All right, so here's a recent snapshot. That is my best friend and smoking hot, gorgeous wife of 32 years of marriage. She right now is in London, England doing the Hillsong Women's Conference. We've not seen a lot of each other because she was two weeks doing the Australia Hillsong Conference. She did the South Africa Hillsong Conference. I did a big women's conference in New Zealand, and none of them were at the same time. So we have not seen a lot of each other. In fact, I leave tomorrow for 20 days, and she gets home on Monday. So this has really been a passing ships in the night type of season. But, you know, I told my wife a few months ago, I said, baby, if you were single, I would be so on your trail. And so I am deeply in love with my wife, and I plan to be deeply in love with her and more in love with her the next 30 years of our marriage. And so on the left is my oldest son, Addison. He's the COO of Messenger International. Messenger International is Teach, Reach, Rescue. All right, teach is what Lisa and I do, traveling all over the world, and others will do the same. Re uh, reach is last year we gave over 2 million resources to pastors and leaders in 59 nations. Pastors in Iran, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon. And then rescue is we help girls get out of sex trafficking. Last year we were able to get 232 girls out of sex trafficking in Asia. Okay. And so Addison is like 29, or 20, he's 27 years old, like going on 50 in wisdom. He's amazing. That's his wife, Juliana. She's from Texas. Any Texas people here? All right. And then the three on the right, they are our next three boys, starting with our number two son, Austin. Austin's amazing. He's over our marketing department at Messenger International. He graduated from University of Colorado, summa cum laude. Uh, don't even ask me what that means. It just means he's smarter than me. 
And then you have Alec. Alec is our kind of out-of-the-box child. He won Tough Mudder in the entire state of Colorado last year, so he's won Tough Mudder. And then you have Arden is our youngest. He's been interning at my good friend Steve Kelly's church, Wave Church in Virginia Beach, and he's finally coming home tomorrow, so we are so excited about that. And then the two little ones, those are my G-babies. You say, what is a G-baby? I am way too young to be grandpa, so it is G-daddy and G for short. So as a G-daddy, I have to highlight my Gs. Here is Asher. He is as cute as he look I just got to babysit him for an hour today it was so fun and then this is Sophia Grace and she is the first girl born in the entire Bavir or Toscano clan since 1967 so you better believe this is one celebrated little girl and of course I am her favorite because I'm G daddy who gives her anything she wants and so that is my family and the more I love my family the more I realize how much God loves us can you say amen because we're his family amen now come on let's get excited in here tonight all right? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want a message from me tonight, or do you want your life changed forever? Which one? Life changed forever. That's a good response, but the Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. So let's ask for it. We've been praying and praying and praying in this conference here the last couple of days. And I'm going to tell you something. If, if what I think is going to happen tonight is going to be a life-changing night for many of you, all right? I'm going to believe for all of you. I'm going to believe for all of us. Amen? So, Father, in Jesus' name... Only you can do that, not man. And so, Holy Spirit of God, again, I acknowledge my complete and utter dependence upon you. We're asking you tonight that you would literally invade this sanctuary. You've already mightily manifested in our time of worship. Now I'm asking that you would do the same in the Word and in the ministry of the Word and in the ministry to the body. And I'm asking tonight, Holy Spirit of God, that you would glorify and magnify Jesus in such a way that we will never, ever, ever be the same again. For I decree this night, your kingdom has come, your will shall be done in this place on earth as it is in heaven. And for this we give you all the honor and the glory and the praise and the thanksgiving. And it is in Jesus' mighty, wonderful, majestic, holy, awesome, magnificent name we pray. And everybody that agrees shouts. Come on, give him praise for what he's going to do. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. David, again, I want to say how honored I am to, to labor here with you, alongside of you, you and your beautiful wife, Renata. Thank you, Renata. It's so, such an honor to be here. And, so, and to all your leaders. They have some of the greatest leaders on this desperation team. And I think you already know that. I think you've been here a couple of days. If you've been here over and over again, you know that this is one of the most hospitable churches I'm telling you, you will ever walk into. They are so full of love, kindness, and really genuinely want to serve you. So you really did do a good thing by coming here. Amen? Again, I am not a part of New Life staff. Nobody asked me to say this. I just want you to know that from an outsider, okay, who is a member of the church. Amen? All right, tonight I'm going to share with you something that is very, very passionate in me. And uh, it started just a little while back. Last year, I went on an extended fast. And when I go on extended fast, this is what I do. I ask the Lord to show me what book of the Bible he wants me to read through. And I heard so clearly, read the book of Acts. And so as I started journeying through the book of Acts, literally scripture started jumping up off the page at me. And you know what's really interesting is I had just recently gone through the book of Acts on another fast and different scriptures jumped up off the page. And I love that because it shows me how real it is that he ministers to us when we're in his word. Are you with me? 
And all these scriptures during this particular fast dealt with the exact same thing. And that is how much the early believers and leaders looked to, depended on, interacted with, and spoke about the Holy Spirit. He was a vital part of their lives. He was preeminent in everything they did. And all of a sudden what became real to me is that what was common among them seems to be more uncommon among us today. Now, let me, for, let me start out by saying this. You remove the Holy Spirit from Christianity and you basically don't have Christianity. Okay? You, ta- you remove the Holy Spirit from Christianity and it very quickly becomes a dry, monotonous, mundane religion. You remove the Holy Spirit from a church and it will morph into either a social club or a religious institution. Now, the problem I find with many Christians, and I'm talking even Spirit-filled Christians, is that you mention the Holy Spirit and immediately they go to His manifestations, His gifts, His power. But can I say this? I find it's much more important that we first come to know Him as a person before we start delving and diving into His manifestations. So let's just settle this right up front tonight. Is the Holy Spirit a person? Or is He a powerful influence that emanates from the Father and the Son? Kind of like what we would refer to if we say the spirit of generosity or the spirit of democracy. Now if you see the Holy Spirit like that, You'll make ridiculous statements. Such as this, I'm a Holy Ghost person. Or I want more of the Holy Ghost. But if you see him as a person, the third person of the Godhead, who is worthy of our adoration, our respect, our obedience, you will not make silly statements like, I want more of the Holy Ghost. You will make statements rather like this, how can I give myself more to him? Now, I think the problem really stems back to the way we see him, to the way we view him. I've been in ministry now for over 30 years, and if I had one dollar, every time in that 30 years I've heard somebody refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, I would be one wealthy guy. But if we would just look at the scripture, we would realize that he has a mind. In fact, a mind of his own, according to Romans 8.27. He has a will. A will of his own. He has emotions, according to the scriptures. He comforts. He speaks. In fact, he speaks clearly. He teaches. He can be grieved. He can be insulted, just like any other person can be insulted. He can be resisted. He can even be lied to. I think the problem really goes back to when we were in Sunday school. Now, I really wasn't in Sunday school, but I can say this, I've seen a lot of Sunday schools in my 30 year of ministry. But if you remember back in Sunday school, if the teacher was gonna talk about the Holy Spirit, they put a big picture or a slide of a dove up there. Now, can I say this? In all four Gospels, it says he descended upon Jesus like a dove. That doesn't make him a dove. Okay, if you've got a girl that wins the state 
100 meter yard dash. You may make a statement like, she's quick like the wind. That doesn't make her into wind. Yeah, but John, John the Apostle in his book, in the book of Revelations, wrote that when he saw the throne of God, he saw the Holy Spirit as fires in front of the throne of God. Well, you know what? The same apostle in the same book saw Jesus and described him as a lamb. That does not make Jesus into a four-footed animal. The Holy Spirit is a person. And we've got to come to know Him as a person. And not use Him for His power or manifestations. Are you with me? The early church really understood this. And so the Apostle Paul writes two amazing letters to the Corinthian church. And I really believe in his second letter, he knew that this was going to be the final words that he would probably write to them on the earth. And so he chooses the best thing. And he says this to them in 13, chapter 13, verse 14. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what he's about to do here is emphasize the, or I should say this, he's about to highlight each of the three persons of the Godhead's emphasis in our life. So he starts out with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know you wouldn't even be in ministry if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus? You wouldn't even have an interest in serving God if it wasn't for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gift of his grace. And then he goes on to say the love of God. Now when I think of the Father, me personally, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is his love. You know, I, I showed you my four sons. I can't even imagine having one son, but then I can't even fathom this. Giving my one and only son to die for a bunch of people who are my enemies. Yet the Bible says when we were still his enemies, God the Father gave Jesus to die for us. That is remarkable, amazing love. And then he goes on to say the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, as a former Catholic boy who was an altar boy for years, when you say the word communion to me, I thought of the little wafer that the priest put on our tongues and the wine I used to sneak as an altar boy after every service. That is not the word communion here. The Greek word for the word communion, most of you should know this, is the Greek word koinonia. It is a Greek word that has many definitions, but I have broken it down into the three majors. And the three majors would be number one, fellowship. So what he's saying is, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Now notice he does not say, may the fellowship of Jesus be with you. Why doesn't he say that? It is really difficult to fellowship with somebody who is a few billion miles away. Okay? You've got to remember, when Jesus ascended to heaven, the angel said the way he went is the way he's coming back. He went in the clouds, and he hasn't come back in the clouds yet. When Stephen was stoned, the heavens were open. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. He's been there for a couple of thousand years. You know what's interesting to me? Is the person of the Godhead who's on earth is always the one who's misunderstood. Come on, so good. If you look at God the Father, he was misunderstood at Mount Sinai. If you look at Jesus, the leaders looked at Jesus and said, Hey, we know God, who are you? And if you look at the Holy Spirit today, he is so misunderstood and misrepresented. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Second definition would be partnership. Listen to what Paul's saying. May the partnership 
of the Holy Spirit be with you. Third would be intimacy. Now let me talk about each tonight briefly. Number one, fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. What does fellowship mean? Fellowship is defined as companionship or sharing together. Now how many of you know companions share with one another? They interact with one another. Come on, talk to me. I mean, can you imagine, you know, I fly out a lot out of Denver Airport, DIA, and you know what? My team members will drive me up there. It's about an hour drive, okay? When I get in that car, how many of you know that we're going to talk to one another, right? I'm going to say to one of my team members, what are you working on right now? What's exciting to you? What's God showing you? How's your, you know, your, be- your friends over here? You know, he's going to ask me questions. And we're going to talk. Maybe not the entire ride, but we're going to talk a good part of that ride up to that airport. Now, can you imagine that if my team member's driving me up to the Denver airport for one hour and I don't say one word to them the entire trip? And to add insult to injury, I turn the radio on really loud. Yet how many times do we get into a car, and we drive 20 minutes, and we don't say one word to the Holy Spirit? If you really want to know the truth, I think he's one of the most ignored people in the church. Or I should say, ignored persons in the church. I mean, if you ever have a problem with people ignoring you, just go talk to him. He completely can identify Now, why is that? I mean, I wouldn't spend the entire day at my house with Lisa and not say a word or not interact with her. Why do we do that with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to tell you why. Because we see him more as an it. Yeah, you back any leader, any Christian back into a corner and they'll say, Holy Spirit's a person. But yet we treat him like an it. Because you would never treat a person that way. You'd never get in a car and drive 20 minutes and not say one word to that person. And then blast the radio so loud that person couldn't say a thing to you. You see, the, the disciples weren't this way. If you look at Paul, Paul said in Acts 20, 22, and 23, and now I am going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not by Jesus. Not knowing what awaits me, except the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city that jail and suffering await me. Now, I sometimes think the way we think of these guys back then is that they had these big encounters with the Holy Spirit. Like if we were making a movie, a Christian movie, we would have had Paul in some, you know, some house somewhere by himself in a room and there would have been a Paul, jail and suffering lie ahead. And then Paul would have done this. Now, there's interaction going on here in city after city. I'm sure Paul was protesting. I mean, he's like, jail? What do you mean jail? You're the one that's told me I'm supposed to bring this gospel to all the Gentiles. Paul, it's going to actually open up doors for you. You're going to get to talk to soldiers. You're going to get to talk to leaders. You're going to get to even talk to Caesar. And they're going on in city after city. It's not just a one-time occurrence. There's an interaction An ongoing interaction here because Paul really understood that the Holy Spirit is a person. If you look at Philip, Philip is an evangelist. He's in a meeting. And 
right in the middle of the meeting in Acts chapter 8, right in the middle of it, an angel of the Lord speaks to him. Now, I want to make a statement here. In no translation of the Bible does it say an angel appeared to Philip. Now, let me make this really clear. There are people in the New Testament that angels appeared to. The angel appeared to Zacharias. The angel appeared to um, Mary, to Joseph, to Peter, to John, to Cornelius. And it says an angel appeared to them. No translation says an angel appeared to Philip. So this angel speaks to Philip and says, go to the desert. Right in the middle of this meeting. He goes, to the, he goes to the desert. And a couple days later, he sees an Ethiopian chariot, a royal Ethiopian chariot. And then we read three verses later. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go and overtake this chariot. Do you understand? These guys knew the voice of the Holy Spirit so well, they could differentiate his voice from an angel's voice. Now, that seems weird to you. Is it really weird? Put me in a room... With Pastor David Perkins. Put a couple of dozen of you people in the room. Put my wife on the other side of the room talking to Renata. Now my wife may laugh because Renata said something funny. I'm not even looking at my wife. And over all two dozen voices, I'll go, there's my wife. I can be in a grocery store. I can hear three aisles over. There's my wife. There's a hundred people in the grocery store. There's Lisa. I can call my offices. I have 30 team members. On any given point of the day, I'll call my office and this is what I hear. Good morning, Messenger International. May I help you? And do you know what I say? Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Sherry. Because I know the voice of every one of my 30 team members. Now, that's not unusual to us. Why do we think it's so unusual? That these guys could tell the difference between the Holy Spirit's voice and an angel. See, I can see... Philip, sitting with Dr. Luke, who writes the book of Acts. And Philip goes, no, 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 no. It wasn't the Spirit who spoke to me in the city meeting. It was an angel. But when I got out into the desert, that's when the Spirit spoke to me. That's what, I, that's what I meant when I said what was common among them seems to be really uncommon with us today. Still with me? Koinonia means partnership. Everybody say partnership. Okay, so what Paul is saying is, listen, may the partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you. Now, how many of you know that partners have to develop what I call an ebb and flow? Do you know what an ebb and flow is? Um, I played varsity tennis at Purdue University, right? So on the varsity tennis team, I started, and I was paired with the number two singles. And he and I were one of the doubles teams, because you play singles and doubles in a match. There's nine points available, six singles, three doubles. And I remember our first couple of matches, man, it was awkward. Balls are going right between us. And I'm thinking, he's getting it, he thinks I'm getting it. But after we played a few matches, we started thinking like one man. And we were really tough to beat. I remember growing up in Lake Michigan. Sailing was a huge part of my childhood. And I used to race. I took two years of sailing school. I remember one time I was asked to skip around this, or, or to crew on this boat. And so the crew, the guy that was the head of the crew met with me and he said, now listen, the skipper's going to issue these commands in the race. You do this. This is your responsibility. And he told me everything I was supposed to do. And we got out in the water. I was the odd man out. They're all flying into action. The skipper's giving a command. They're flying into action. I'm like, oh gosh, what am I supposed to? Oh yeah, that's right. But after time, 
I started flowing as one man with them. There was an ebb and flow that was developed. See, the first time I got up to speak after we were married 30 years ago, Lisa and I, Lisa's sitting in the front row. Within five minutes of my message, she's sound asleep. And she slept the whole message. And her best friend was sitting right next to her. She was in such deep sleep. Her name's Amy. I saw a drool coming out of the side of her mouth. Now people don't go to sleep when I speak. Why? Because I've learned how to flow with my partner. See, I remember when he first told me to write a book. You know, English was my worst subject in high school. I literally scored a 370 on the SAT in English. I mean, I hated writing and I hated reading. And I remember he told me to write. It took me a whole year to write that book. But now, and it really isn't that good, and now he tells me to write a book and I crank it out in a couple months. Why? Because I've learned how to flow with my partner. If you look at what Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, he says this. He has said, we are fellow workers for and with God. Not only do we work for God, we work with Him. That's partnership. The only person of the Godhead he could be talking about here is the Holy Spirit. If you look at Acts chapter 15, you're going to see an example of this partnership. The apostles write... And they make this statement. They said, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Everybody say, and to us. So they're representing his view. I just showered you. And their view. Are you seeing this? Are you with me? Now, this really isn't unusual because you see it in the Old Testament. You see glimpses of it. You know, God one day says, should we do what we're planning on doing with Sodom and Gomorrah without first talking to our friend, our partner Abraham? So God comes down. He and Abraham walk by the cliff. God says, we're thinking about blowing up those two cities, Abe. What do you think? And Abe goes, really? And he talks to God, and they discuss it. And after they discuss it, God approaches it totally different than he would have. If you look at Moses on top of the mountain, the Bible says two times, because of what Moses said, God changed his mind. He relented from what he was going to do because of what his partner said. Now, with them, it was incidences, isolated incidences. On the top of the mountain for Moses, at the terebinth trees with the Abraham. With us, it's 24-7. Because Jesus said he's going to be continually in you and with you. Are you getting this? Now, it goes deeper than partnership. It goes to close mutual association. Now, what do I mean by close mutual association? All right, I'm going to date myself here, okay? But I'm in high school, you say one word to me. Beatles. I know exactly who you're talking about. Paul McCartney, John Lennon, Ringo Starr, and George Harrison. Not only do I know the four men, I know the type of music they play. I know, I know part of their history. I know all about them. All you had to do was say Beatles. See, Beatles aren't the Beatles without Paul McCartney. They're not the Beatles without Ringo Starr. It's all four of them, and that's the Beatles. If you said Stooges to me in high school, i go, okay, Moe, Larry, Curly. Now, they tried to replace Curly with this guy named Shemp. He was pathetic. The Stooges is Moe, Larry, and Curly. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit wants with us. See, I remember the first time I was asked to host Dr. Paul, Dr. at that time, it was Paul Young E. Cho back in the 1980s. Back in those, you know, he has the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea. And back in the 1980s, you know, today, it's over a million members in his church. Back then, it was only 750,000 people. And I remember when he came to America, and I hosted him twice. The first time I hosted him, he has like 20 businessmen that travel with him. 
And the lead guy sat down with me and met with me, and he said, Mr. Bevere, when Dr. Cho gets into the vehicle and you drive him to the service, do not talk to him. He does not want to talk to people before service. So just drive him there and don't say a thing to him. I said, okay, you got it. So Dr. Cho gets into my car, and when Dr. Cho got into my car, God got into my car. Literally, the presence of God filled the entire vehicle, and tears started coming down my cheek. And finally, I didn't care what the guy said. I turned to Dr. Cho, and I said, Dr. Cho, God is in the car. And he goes, yes, I know. And he turned away. That's all he said. <laughs> now, we got to be friends later because we played golf together, but you know, I was so glad he didn't say anything else because I started thinking how much time he spends with the Holy Spirit. He prays with him a couple hours a day. He talks about him constantly. See, can I make a statement? You were created in his image. Okay, so you're like him in many respects. So can I ask you a question? Do you spend time with people who ignore you? That was a question. Do you spend time with people who ignore you? You really don't, do you? I mean, do you know why I really like coming here tonight? Because this man is so gracious to me. I mean, he grabs me, he hugs me, his team members, they're outside waiting for me. They grab me, they hug me. John, how you doing? We're so pumped about tonight. We're so excited. Man, I really like associating with them. But now, compare that real experience, true experience. I go to a church. They drive me to the auditorium. They put me in a room. I'm the only one in the room. I'm thinking, okay, the pastor's going to come in. Nobody comes in. Then a knock comes on the door. It's my entourage. And they walk me out to the auditorium. pastor's over there. And there's 9,000 people there. And I speak to the 9,000 people. And they walk me back to the room. All by myself. And I'm thinking, why did they invite me? Do they even like me? Now, I don't associate with them. But I'll associate with him. And with his team. Why? Because I... I like associating with people who actually like to be around me. Well, what, why do you think he's different? So we totally ignore him, and then we wonder why he doesn't manifest. Okay, like, do you, do, do you like really get excited and manifest yourself around people who totally ignore you? No. If you look at association... You know, I was speaking in Detroit years ago. The church is called Detroit World Outreach. Big church. Pastor could bench 540 pounds. Okay? And all Sunday morning, I preached on the Holy Spirit. Sunday night, he looks at me. He says, you're going to have the mic in 20 minutes. We're going to have 20 minutes of worship. And I'm going to turn it right over to you. Yes, great, great. I didn't get the mic for over an hour. Finally, this man comes up to me. Tears pouring down his cheek. He said, I've never in all my years I've pastored this church. He founded the church. Have I felt the presence of God so strong in a service? I said, do you know why? He said, why? I said, because we talked about him this morning. And he loves to associate with people that talk about him. 
See, I think there are churches that he comes to out of obligation. <laughs> and then there are other churches he comes because he really likes it. Do you want to know why I showed you my family? Do you know I can name nationally named ministries? And you can tell me the minister's name, but you can't tell me their wife's name or their husband's name. Why? Because there's not a close association. You want to know why? I'll show a picture of my family. I don't care if I'm preaching in Beirut, Lebanon, or Yerevan, Armenia, or Singapore. I'm showing a picture of my family. Do you know Lisa will show a picture of me tonight when she does the final service at the Hillsong Women's Conference? She'll show that exact same picture I just showed you. Because I want, when people see me, they think Lisa Bevere. She wants, when they see her, they think John Bevere. We want to be closely associated. Now, it goes to intimacy, and, and this is the one I'm going to spend the most time on. Intimacy. Everybody say intimacy. What is intimacy? It's fellowship but it's at a much deeper level because it goes to the thoughts, the secrets, the desires, the intentions of the heart. How many of you know that intimacy is the avenue to a deep friendship? Now, if you look at what the Message Bible says, it's the best. It says, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Do you understand he wants to be your intimate friend. Now, would you please, please think a minute. He's not saying, may the intimate friendship of Peyton Manning be with you. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd like to be a friend of Peyton Manning. I've got a lot of respect for the guy. But that's not who he's talking about. He's talking about the one who put the stars in the universe with his fingers and called every one of them by name, who weighed every drop of water on this planet in the palm of his hand, who spanned the universe from one end to the other with the width of his hand. He wants to be your intimate friend. I don't know about you, but that's amazing. Look what James says. James says, the Spirit... Who dwells in us yearns. Everybody say yearns. yearns. Now the word yearn means to long for intensely and consistently. When I, think about da- when, when I think about intensely, I think about what David says in Psalm 139. Lord, the number of your thoughts that you have about me personally outnumber every grain of sand that's on this planet. Do you understand every grain of sand that's on this planet? Okay. I mean, I think about my wife, how much I've thought about her. I don't even get a shoebox full in 30 years. Because scientists tell us one cubic foot of beach contains 1.8 billion grains of sand. Now, how many of you know fishermen can exaggerate? Dude, I caught a fish this big, but it was really this big, right? Exaggeration, if you really want to know the truth, it's a lie. Hey, brother, I'm praying for you. Truth is, you pray one time. That's an exaggeration. It's a lie. Right? How many of you know God can't lie? So if God says, my thoughts about you outnumber every granule of sand that's on this planet, do you understand how much he's thinking about you? And do you understand you do not think about people you don't want to be close to? Now, yearn means to long for intensely and consistently. That's the part I really like. You know, we human beings, we're fickle. I mean, come on. 
If I wake up my wife at 2.30 in the morning, I guarantee you she's not yearning for me at that time. She's going to go, honey, why'd you wake me up? I'm going to say, well, and I do the same with her. But you know, I've gotten up at 2.30, I've slept out of bed, and, he, and we've talked till 4. Because to yearn means to long for consistently. But now notice the word. The spirit who dwells in us yearns what? Say it. Everybody say it. Say it again. Say it one more time. Okay, what does that mean? Let me illustrate it to you like this. Do you think Lisa Bevere would share with me the intimate secrets of her heart if I was pursuing a relationship with another woman? That was a question. No, there's no way. But you know what James says one verse earlier? He says, basically, you're pursuing a friendship with the world. You're an adulterer. Who's an adulterer? An adulterer who has a covenant relationship with someone and violates that covenant relationship to establish a relationship with somebody else. Now, what's the world? Because James says, if you're seeking a friendship with the world, you're an adulterer. What's the world? The world is the gratification of the flesh, the gratification of the eyes, and, and pride of life. What's pride of life? Status. Reputation. Okay, let me just put it this way. If you want to be on a platform because you want people to see you've arrived, don't expect to have intimacy with him. You're an adulterer. Okay, because that's what the world pursues. But if you want to be on the platform to serve those people, you're probably going to have intimacy with him. Sure is quiet in this Methodist church. You still here? Are you just listening real good? Is that what it is? Now, I want to go back and I want to look at what the apostles wrote again. Now, now pay close attention. The apostles said, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Now, do you notice, now I want you to look at this. Do you notice they do not say, for the Holy Spirit spoke and so do we. They said it seemed good. Do you understand they're so close, so intimate with him, that he permits them to represent him without him speaking? Okay, let me give you an example. If I'm staying at your house, my wife and I are staying at your house. I usually get up first. I get up. And you're cooking bacon, eggs, and grits. I will say, do not make bacon. My wife doesn't eat pig, and do not make grits. She hates grits. Do you understand I'm able to represent her without her speaking? Okay, last year, we're doing a conference in Canada. I spoke the first night. She spoke the second night. Sound man comes around the corner. We're in worship. Lisa's got tears running down her. Sound man comes around the corner. With a countryman mic, one of these. And I stopped him. I said, no, no, no. She doesn't want that. She wants a handheld, wireless handheld. He never got to talk to her. He went back, got the wireless handheld, and she went up. I was able to represent what she wanted without her speaking. That's what's happening here. These guys know him so well, he's allowing them to represent him without him speaking. And these words are written in the Bible. See, let me, let me help you understand it like this. I can be in a room, my wife can give me one look, I can write three pages what she just said. 
Now, you could be in that room and see that same look, and you couldn't write a word. Because you don't know her like I know her. Now, 30 years ago, when we first got married, she gave me a look like that in a public event one time. I'm talking about somebody's house. She gave me a look like that because I didn't know her like I know her now. I said, what, what, what are you saying, babe? You talk about awkward? <laughs> See, Paul the Apostle did the same thing. Paul the Apostle said, but in my opinion, and I think I'm giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this, and God lets him write all these words and goes into the Bible without him speaking. You still with me? Now, how many of you know in order to have intimacy, you have to seek to know the personality of the person you want to be intimate with? Let me, let me help some of you understand. Our four boys, they were toddlers. I think our oldest was around 10 or 11. And one day my wife pulls me into the bedroom and she says, Honey, you're really struggling with your role as dad in this house. I said, yeah, I know. I can see it. And she said, do you know why? I said, why? She said, because you treat all four of them exactly the same. She said, honey, they have different personalities. Like Addison, our oldest, you've got to give it straight to his face. That's like me, okay? Now, Austin, our second born, you've got to come in the side door. You've got to get him to think he thought about it. <laughs> so I started adjusting the way I interacted with them, and my parenting became much more effective. How many of you know men and women are the same way? Come on, talk to me. Right? Please tell me you know these things. <laughs> men are different than women. I mean, Peter wrote and said, dwell with them with understanding. And if Peter really would have thought it through, he said, you wives, dwell with your husbands with understanding. Because we're different. Yeah. Like, 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 like my dad... My dad is 94 years old. He turns 95 this year. He and mom have been married 66 years this June, right? Amazing dad, little Italian guy, World War II vet, never saw him drunk a day in his life, never saw him look at another woman, never saw, never cheated, never paid our bills, but he didn't get saved until he was 79, okay? So, so, so my dad is this quiet Italian guy, and he doesn't prepare me to get married. So the first couple of years of our marriage, I'm treating Lisa like a guy. Now, do you get it? Okay, let me put it to you this way. Last September, I won the Flying Horse Seniors Club Championship, okay? So I play in the tournament. I come home from the first day of the tournament. My family looks at me and goes, what'd you shoot? They're all in the room, right? I said, why shot a 67? He said, whoa! My boys are like, dad, tell us every shot. Tell us every single green or, or hole you birdied, right? My wife's like, oh, that's great, honey. What did you and the guy you play with talk about? <laughs> Do you see the difference? Okay? The boys want to know every shot. They want to know the birdies. She wants to know what I talked about with the guy I played with. Okay, that's the difference, right? Well, if you look at John 14, 15, 16, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, and 19 times, listen carefully to me, 19 times, he refers to the Holy Spirit as he, him, and himself. However, if you go back to the original manuscript, the Greek manuscript, the Greeks have a pronoun that we don't have. They have a gender-neutral pronoun. Okay? In other words, let me make sure we all understand. We have he, 
she, it. If I say he, you know I'm talking about one guy. If I say she, you know I'm talking about one lady. If I say it, you know I'm talking about one object or one animal. Greeks have a gender-neutral pronoun that can refer to either one guy or one girl. We don't have it. Do you know that's the pronoun that Jesus used all 19 times when speaking about the Holy Spirit? If you go back to the Old Testament, the Hebrew writers had the exact same pronoun. It's a gender-neutral pronoun. Okay? But the Hebrews wrote more according to function, whereas the Greeks wrote more according to form. Look at all the Greek statues, right? So the Hebrews were more into function. So often, now, now I'm going to say this. Every time the Holy Spirit is spoken about in, in the Hebrew writing in the Old Testament, it's that exact same gender neutral pronoun. However, often, everybody say often, often, the verb or the adverb that is assigned to that pronoun is feminine, not masculine. Now, I am not saying the Holy Spirit is a female. Don't you dare walk out of here and say, John Bevere says the Holy Spirit is a goddess. Don't you dare. (laughs) But what I do want to ask is this. What I want to ask is this. Who existed first? God or human beings? Okay. There's a culture barrier here. Where, where I was raised, it's rude not to answer a question if you're asked. Is it, is it different where you come from? I mean, would you talk to somebody sitting across the table if you kept asking them questions and they just look at you? Okay, can we try this again? Who existed first? This really isn't a trick question. Who existed first, God or human beings? God. Thank you. Okay, look at Genesis 127. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them in his own image. So you know what that means. There has to be personality characteristics that we ascribe as being feminine that existed in God before human beings were created. Otherwise, females couldn't have been created in his image. Okay, you got God the Father, that's pretty obvious, he's not effeminate. You got God the Son, again, he's not effeminate. So who's left? Who's left in the Godhead who can carry the attributes that we ascribe as being feminine? I submit to you, it's the Holy Spirit. And I have proof. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve. The Holy Spirit of God. Now notice it doesn't say do not grieve Jesus, do not grieve the Father. It says don't grieve the Holy Spirit, right? Now the Greek word there for grieve is the Greek word lupiti, which means this, deep sorrow and distress. Comes from the root word lupe, which means a pain that can only be experienced by two people who deeply love each other. Let me give you an example. We can be in our family environment, right? the Bevere household, and I say something really sharp, harsh to one of my sons, right? 30 minutes later, that overwhelming conviction hits me. So I go back to my son and I say, son, I'm so sorry. What I said was accurate, but the way I said it was totally wrong. Would you please forgive me? I said it harsh. I'm so sorry. 
And my sons are amazing. They'll go, oh, dad, come here. They'll pat me on the back because they're all bigger than me. Pat me on the back. Dad, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's done. It's over. Okay? Two days later, Lisa looks at me and goes, I'm still angry at you for the way you spoke at our son two days ago. I'm like, that is like such water under the bridge. Really? Now, what happened? I deeply wounded her by the harsh way I talked to my son. My son's over it. I'm over it. Not her. Okay, can I show you this scripture in context? Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear him and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to talk about rage, anger, and harsh words. Do you understand that he deeply loves us and we speak to each other in a harsh way? It deeply sorrows him like it deeply sorrows my wife when I talk harshly to one of my boys. You're not so convincing. Okay, let me give you another example. You can talk bad about me. You can even cuss me out to my face. I'll forgive you. If you talk bad about my wife, you're in huge trouble with me. I mean huge trouble. Look what Jesus said. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus. He'll be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Either in this age or the age to come. Do you understand that there is a protective clause that the Father and the Son put on the Holy Spirit? If you ever speak against him, you will not be forgiven him. Why? Because he's tender and sensitive. And so the Father and the Son place a protective clause over him. Now, sensitive is not weakness. It's actually strength. But it has to be protected. Last year, I was in the state of Hawaii speaking to the government. The mayor's office was there, the, the senator, president of the Senate, senators, governor's office. There's a thousand people. And on this trip, I found out something really interesting. Hawaii has a state policy in the police force. And that is this. If a person is mistreated, abused, a youth, a juvenile is abused, or if you have a juvenile delinquent, Hawaii's state policy is the first police officer on the scene has to be a female. Why is that? Because they've done studies and they've learned that the abuse victims will respond much better to a female than to a male. Well, let me let you do your own study. When you were a kid, you scraped your knee. Did you run to mom or dad? <laughs> she ran to mom. Why? She's the comforter of the family. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit comforter four times. Wisdom is referred to as she eight times in the book of Proverbs. He is spirit of wisdom. Now again, I am not saying the Holy Spirit is a female. What I am saying is the attributes we have ascribed as feminine had to exist in God for human beings were created Otherwise, females never could have been created in his image. You know what I love about this? This elevates women. Yeah. 
If there's a person in the Bible that reminds me of the Holy Spirit, it would have to be King David. Why is that? King David was the most feared king on the battlefield. No king was ever feared like him. I mean, if you look at David and his 30, they would make our Navy SEALs look like kindergartners. I mean, if you really read about what these guys did. I mean, he's fierce. But if you look at his interpersonal relationships, the guy's constantly crying. <laughs> I mean, he talks about drinking his tears. I mean, he says to this man named Jonathan, Jonathan, your love to me is better than any woman's love. What guy talks like this? So, so if you look at him, he's mighty on the battlefield, but he's very tender and sensitive in interpersonal relationships. If you look at the Holy Spirit, he's called the spirit of might. He manifests in a mighty way. He manifests as the rushing mighty wind. But if you look at him interpersonally, in relationships, he's very tender and sensitive. So this is the problem. We think he's macho Holy Spirit. No. You totally blew it if you think he's that way. See, for 29 years of ministry, I, I, I was sitting in the pool in Hawaii with my wife, and I'm sitting there studying this thing out diligently. And I said to my wife, I said, there's no way I'm preaching this. There's no way I'm preaching this. I said, this doesn't do anybody good. I have a personal policy, and you do good if you did the same. If it doesn't help somebody, don't preach it. Let's find out about a pre-Adamic race when we get to heaven. Don't preach about it, please. Okay, so that's my policy. If it doesn't help somebody, I'm not talking about it. So I said, I'm not talking about it. This is ridiculous. It's going to create a stir and all this. And I went, wait a minute. Our first four years of marriage, I mean, our first two years of marriage was really weird because I didn't treat you like a lady. I treated you like a guy. This is going to help people. Okay, so I'm going to tell you. Last year, as a result of this, I had a question answered that I've had for 29 years. In 29 years of ministry, experientially, you know what I've discovered? Women are much more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than men. And it bugged me. I thought, what's up? Do you like women better? I mean, I'm okay with that, because I like women better. But, you know, I'm like... <laughs> but, I'm, but, but it just doesn't seem like God, okay? And I'm like, okay, what's up with this? And all of a sudden I realized why women are more sensitive than men. Because women don't have to dwell with him with understanding. We do. Men do. See, women are like him, personality-wise. They don't have to dwell with him with understanding. We do. You know what really throws us off is how mighty he manifests. See, here's, here's the reason I'm talking about this to you guys. If Jesus waited 30 years before having the fullness of the Spirit, before he embarked on his destiny here on the earth, how much more do we need him? Now, I'm going to tell you the problem. 
It doesn't happen here. It didn't happen tonight. But I'm going to tell you, I'm out there. I'm all over America. I'm all over the Western world. And you know what the church is going towards? We have the name Spirit-filled, but we totally ignore him. And I'm going to tell you why. There's a reason why. It was the really weird way we represented him in the 80s and 90s. Okay? Now, how many of you know kids can detect weirdness better than anybody else? I mean, I remember going to some of these churches, right, in the 80s or early 90s. And my sons would lean into their mother so strong, they'd almost bruise her side because they're trying to stay away from the weird woman next to them. And she was Holy Ghost filled. She was a peculiar person, right? So... I start mentioning this to my family, and I notice the way my sons are reacting. And I'm like, we got a problem here. So I started thinking about it. Nobody yielded more to the Holy Spirit than Jesus. Yet kids jumped in his lap. So he wasn't weird. Government officials sought him out. He wasn't weird. Mafia leaders sought him out. They invited him to his, their parties. They would never have invited one of these people from the 80s to their parties. <laughs> so you know what I realized? They were weird. They would have been weird if they were playing cards. They're just weird. And we gave them a license to be weirder because we said we're peculiar people. So I'm like so passionate to reintroduce him. You know, let's just put it this way, okay? I know David real well. What's your, uh, what, what's your name? Carson. David's never met Carson. I go, Dave, Carson is totally weird. He does synchronized swimming. I mean, the dude is a synchronized swimmer. He eats vegan. He doesn't eat meat. The guy loves pink. Okay, now you meet Carson for the first time. You know what you're going to be? Hi. Bye. Because what? I've misrepresented Carson totally. I mean, he's not a synchronized swimmer. He probably loves meat. So I've totally misrepresented him to David. So now David meets him, and he's like. And that's what we did with the Holy Spirit. And so now the young generation, because they remember, I'm talking about the 20-sums, they remember how weird we were. Because I turned 55 one month from today, so I'm, I, I, can, I can speak to this. I'm like a dad in the church, and I'm still an elder brother. And, and, and I remember this, okay? We were weird. And I realized Jesus wasn't weird. He was powerful. Man, was he powerful. And we're supposed to be powerful. But not weird. So here's the deal. Everything we've done, everything we've done in ministry has come from relationship with the Holy Spirit. Everything. You know, there are echoes out there and there are voices. The echoes 
don't know the Holy Spirit. The voices do. Do you know we've done things maybe that others have done, but the Holy Spirit birthed it. But there's things we've done nobody's done because the Holy Spirit birthed it. I'm just looking for what he's saying. And you know what I get is when I'm spending time with him. Do you know, I find it so amazing that God says, I want you to know me real well. And so Jesus says, it's better that I go away. Because if I don't, you won't know me real well. Because there's so much more I have to tell you, but you can't handle it. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll show you the deep things of God. See, here's the deal. Okay, I'm going to give you evidence. Here's the deal. There's three levels of relationships. Spirit, soul, and physical. Most people get married off the physical. So it wears off, you know, buy a car, new car. One month later, it's old news. Because everything in the flesh gets old. So if you marry that woman because she's got great figure, or he's hot, you're in big trouble. (laughs) She better be your best friend. He better be your best friend. You guys all know this, right? So God says... Flesh is not redeemed. Everything gets old, the flesh. So Jesus said, you don't want to know me in the flesh. It's better for you I go away because your spirit will be redeemed and there can be a connection. See, the strongest marriages are marriages that started long-distance relationships. Because why? The physical didn't get in the way. They got to really know each other. And they became best friends. But the deepest relationships are spiritual. That's why Paul said we don't know anyone after the flesh. We don't even know Jesus after the flesh. Now, here's the deal. Peter walks with Jesus three and a half years. Peter is the lead man. I mean, Jesus leaves him in charge. That's how close. He's one of the top three. But Paul comes to know Jesus more intimately. Because finally, Peter writes in his letter towards the end of his life, this guy, Paul, he knows Jesus so well, some of his letters are hard for me to understand. What was the problem? Peter kept reverting back to when he walked with Jesus in the flesh. That was three and a half years. Paul didn't have that reference. That's why Jesus said to Thomas, the people who haven't seen me are much more blessed than the people that have. Do you understand? God said, I don't want to get old to you. So I'm not going to reveal myself to your flesh. Because your flesh ain't redeemed yet. One day we will have a glorified body. It will be redeemed we will be able to stand for years in the presence of God in worship and love it and not want to leave. I guarantee you couldn't do that right now. Are you with me? So God says, I'm not going to reveal myself to their flesh. Everything gets old in the flesh because their flesh is not redeemed. I'm going to reveal myself to their spirit because their spirits are redeemed. You know, People say, where do you you get this stuff in these books that you write? I'll tell you where I get them. I get them from the Holy Spirit. You know what happens? I run up against the wall. And you know what I do when I run up against the wall? I get up and start walking around, and I pray in the Spirit. And all of a sudden, boom, here comes a gusher, and I sit back down and keep writing. And we're talking about a guy who flunked the SATs in English. What would happen to your ministry if you started walking with him? 
And we're not talking about just in services. I'm talking about 24-7. I remember I was praying two hours a day. I was getting kind of proud of it. One day I said amen, and the Lord said to me, I would like the other 22 hours of the day. He said, can you imagine? You say, Lisa, your time is between 4 and 6 every day. She calls you at 10 in the morning. Honey, i got to talk to you. Babe, it's 10 o'clock. Our time is not for six more hours. And then it's 4 o'clock. You talk nonstop for two hours and then say, whoop, see you tomorrow. He says, is that interaction? No. See, I find the older I get, the more I listen. The less I speak. We're spiritual beings. We know how to get there. He's made us. He's made our spirits alive. So many Christians are so out of touch with their spirit because they are so controlled by their soul and flesh. They're so influenced by their soul and their flesh. They can't even get to the spirit because they're so filled with worry, filled with concern, filled with anxiety, filled with all this stuff. And they can't even get in touch with their spirit. Their well's plugged up. And then what happens is they try to act spiritual because they get intimidated around real spiritual people and then they get really weird. (laughs) If you're going to be great leaders, learn to walk with Him. If we're going to live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Did you get something out of this tonight? Amen. I want, you to, I want you to bow your heads. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to just close your eyes. I know your wife's probably sitting next to you. Your husband's probably sitting next to you. I know you got maybe even some of your youth leaders sitting at your table. Look, just bow your heads and close your eyes and just be alone right now.